Most of us want to be home for the holidays, home for something like Christmas. You see this especially in college students. Those of you who are college students or who at some point were, remember that fall semester. You get to that final exam, the final, final exam for you or whenever that final paper is turned in and you are ready to go. Sometimes you have the car loaded up if you have a car down there or you want your parents there right away to pick you up. You cannot wait to get out of there and to get home. And a lot of that has to do with being away for the first time or for the first couple of years. You've, especially if you've grown up in the same house, you've been there for year upon year. And it doesn't quite feel like Christmas when you're in the midst of just studying and trying to do a paper. You want to be home. And we do that as adults too. Many of us return home for Christmas. Some of you are here because you're returning home for Christmas or you're going to be traveling between now and Tuesday. You want to be at the home you grew up in, is my experience, or near the home you grew up in because of the memories. You want to be with your family. There's something about being home for Christmas that feels right. It's like this is the way it should be. But as many of us know, too, when that home is gone, it's been sold, you no longer live there, your parents are no longer living and there's not a home to go to, it's actually hard. You, you try to recreate those memories or try to build new ones in new places, but in your head, you still hold on to this memory of when you were seven or 13, this memory of this place, of these people. That desire in us to be home for the holidays actually points to a deeper desire, a spiritual and eternal desire for home and family that is not just about Christmas. It's a desire to belong, to be present in a place where we belong, where we are at home. It's one of the reasons why what God says to Abraham is so jarring. The Lord God says to Abraham in Genesis 12, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. Look at the movements that are happening there. Go from your home your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. It's a movement from here's your family that you've always lived around, the city you've always lived in, the house you've lived in, and I want you to go. But don't worry, I'm going to give you a new home, a new land, and I will make of you a nation, basically a family. I know you're going to leave your home and your family, but I'll give you a new one but it doesn't happen quite quickly the way that Abraham might have thought or in quite the way that he expected. It was decades before Abram had a son. God said he was going to be a nation, a family. He has one son very late in life. I'll give you a home, but instead, Abraham wanders around in the land of Canaan. This was supposed to be his promised land, but he owned none of it. He was never settled. Where was God's promise to him? And then, of course, if the story that was just read for us, Abraham does have a son who has sons. They have many children. And eventually they become a great people, a great clan, the nation of Israel. But for their first hundred years, they didn't have a land. They were in Egypt. They were what's called sojourners, immigrants, refugees in Egypt and then eventually slaves in Egypt. 
And so the story of Israel goes that they, they're probably wondering where is the promise that God said to Abraham, aren't we supposed to be a nation by ourselves, to have our own land, our own home? Eventually God answers. Moses comes along, right, burning bush, parting the Red Sea, and Israel gets out of Egypt, and they think, okay, we're going to the promised land. We are going to have our home. And then for 40 years, they wander around in the wilderness, trying to find their way home. And they never quite make it. Oh, eventually they do. They cross into the land of Canaan, into the promised land. And eventually they do become a nation. They set themselves up with a king, the two most famous, King David and King Solomon. And during the couple of decades when Solomon and David were kings, there was peace. They were a nation. They had a a land. They had a home. Everything was as it was supposed to be. They were finally at rest. They'd finally gotten to the home that God had promised them. But it didn't last. Even that really good season, David Solomon, it's like 40 years, 50 years, 60, and then it's gone. The story of Israel, as you read through the Old Testament, is that they reject God. They turn away from his call to justice and mercy, and they don't serve him only, so God gives them over to judgment, to what's called exile. And the story of Israel is that for hundreds of years, they were in exile. Now, we talk about this here, talking about the story of Israel, how they went into exile after a while, but you have to actually backtrack it and kind of go a little bit deeper into this. To be taken into exile means you survived and probably your entire family was slaughtered. Okay, picture that. You're in your house, home, growing up, and the enemy army comes in and kills horribly your family, and you're the only one to survive. Your home is flattened, and you're now a prisoner, taken to a far-off land where you don't understand the language, held as a prisoner, a refugee, a slave, a servant, a prisoner. Far from home. You know, the ancient world saw exile as one of the worst things that could possibly happen to you. We don't think about it as much, but Roman law had capital punishment as either execution or exile. Think about that. Socrates was said to have the ability to choose his punishment, and it was either exile or death, and he chose the hemlock. He chose to die rather than be exiled. Romeo, of course, is completely distraught because he was going to be like banished or something like that, kicked out of Verona. He would rather be dead. And what's the story of the Odyssey is Ulysses in that ancient world trying to get home, trying to make it back to his family, to his city, to his land, to his home. I think we pass over things like exile because we are transient. Very few of us live in the same home we were born in. We are individualistic, and we like autonomy. We don't want to be bound by a place or even by our extended family. But in that ancient world, the land of Israel, Rome, even traditional cultures today, there's an incredibly high value on place and on family. Home matters. People matter. Families matter. We think, 
exile or death, I'll take exile. I'll go to another country. Can I pick the country? But in that ancient world, you might have chosen death. And so there's Israel for hundreds of years, driven from their land, their families destroyed, and they are crying out to God. What we sang at the beginning of the service and what we sing during Advent, come, O come, Emmanuel, come, Lord, ransom captive Israel that dwells in lonely exile here. And eventually, God answers them. The prophets that we had read in Isaiah make this promise that God would come and bring Israel back. He would bring the exiles back. They would return home and he would dwell with them, and they would, they would be his people, and he would be their God. They would be his family dwelling in their land. And eventually, Israel does return. The story goes a couple hundred years later, Israel is back in the land of Canaan, the promised land. They rebuild Jerusalem. They rebuild the temple. But things are never quite the same. They keep looking back to this certain like 50-year period when David and Solomon were kings, and they say, wasn't that great? If we could just make it like that again. That's the land into which Jesus entered. A land of people that were in their homeland but didn't quite feel at home. It wasn't what they wanted it to be. Things weren't the way they were supposed to be. In many ways, they had an idealized vision of their past. When David was king, it was so great. When Solomon was king, it was so great. Look at what we're dealing with now. But even if they got that King David or King Solomon again, my guess is it would not last or it would not be enough to satisfy them. Because no land, no nation could meet their expectations, which is a deep-rooted desire for home. Most of us have expectations around the Christmas season. We enter like Thanksgiving time and we're like, okay, this year's gonna be different. We're gonna approach it differently. A lot of our expectations built around Christmas are built on memories. And those memories are often really fond memories of Christmas's past, whether it was when your kids were little or when you were little. I can remember with fond memories playing Christmas records, you know, before Spotify, Nat King Cole and Bing Crosby and Johnny Mathis and Frank Sinatra playing those records. I loved Christmas lights as a kid. When we drove around, I would just look out at night for the Christmas lights. I loved Christmas lights on houses. I loved Christmas Eve at my aunt's house. I've talked about that here before. It's just fond memories of the food and the family and gathering together on Christmas Eve. I loved that train set I got when I was seven. That was awesome. It was the thing I wanted the most. I was so into trains as a little boy, and I opened up all my presents, and they were great, but they had saved the train set for last. And it was hidden behind the giant console TV, one of those ones that's like the size of a giant piece of furniture with a screen about this big. <laughs> and behind that, I unwrapped this train set. All of you have memories like that. The music or the food or the homes or that one present that was like the greatest present ever. Look, here's my hope for you. My hope is that your Christmas this year is as joyful and wonderful as you want and hope it can be. 
I hope it is not like those many Christmases that have been miserable for you. I mean, you've had them, right? Like the time when I was about eight or nine, when we were over at my aunt's house, and my older cousin saw me looking at all the presents under the tree, and during dinner, he hid all my presents. (laughs) So when we came back after dinner to go open our presents, all mine were gone. Tears, just tears. He was laughing. Eventually, they came back out. I still have not forgiven him. (laughs) Or the time in Christmas, uh, not too many years ago, when my kids were like one, three, and five, or like actually a couple weeks old and, uh, you know, two and a half and four and a half, and I, on Christmas Eve, came down with the Fijian flu. It's like the flu on, on, too much flu. (laughs) I was not well all night, Christmas morning was the next morning. Sarah, my loving wife, and our kids got in the car and fled. (laughs) We were living in Richmond. We were going to come visit family up here. They left me behind. They're like, we are not getting this plague, whatever it was. So my Christmas that year was the Fijian flu. Or that embarrassing time when I think my parents decided to shake a bell. It was Christmas Eve, late. I think Santa's out there. Come, come look. I go running to go up. I I was in my bedroom, and there was one, uh, there was a bathroom by the front of the house that that you could look out the window and probably see Santa when he came, right? So I go running, and because I was still short, I went to stand on the toilet, (laughs) but the seat wasn't down, and (laughs) footy pajamas, water to here, just tears. There's no scars emotionally, I promise. It's, I'm fine. That might have been the end of my belief in the guy in the red suit. My guess is this. Maybe not for all of you out here, but Christmas will disappoint many of you. It'll, it'll, it'll disappoint you because it'll be over in a couple of days, and you'll be like, it's over already. Or you, the presents, you'll open them, and they just, they don't do anything for you anymore. Or you'll get through the Christmas season in a couple of days, and you'll be like, I didn't do all I wanted. Here's the deal, though. No season, even as great as Christmas is, no single day, no great feast with family, no gift can match the depth of expectations that we often put on something like Christmas. Our expectations are an indication that we are looking for something more, something deeper and greater that can't necessarily be met in one holiday. And I was just mentioning that idea of fond memories, and my guess is that all of you have fond memories. This way of looking back at a house that belonged to your grandparents, or the house you grew up in during this season of your life. Or you think of your family or your own life at a particular age when you were this old, or your kids were a particular age. And those fond memories can be incredibly sweet and painful at the same time. I know this because parents whose kids have grown up often have a really hard time looking at pictures of their kids when they're toddlers. Because you look back, now they're like 16 or 35, and you look back at them at age three, and your heart breaks. You kind of want to go back to that time. 
You want them to be that again. Now, of course, it's idealized. You don't actually want that three-year-old again. (laughs) But you think you do in the photo. We have what one writer called a lifelong nostalgia, a sentimental longing for the past filled with joyful ache, memories of a time and a place to which we know we cannot return. We have what that same writer called an ongoing homesickness, an all-powerful urge to connect with our idealized past. And a lot of that, a lot of that has to do with us placing all of our hopes on these images, these dreams, these visions of what life should be like, and missing what it's actually pointing to. C.S. Lewis talked about this. He said, what if what we think of as beauty or nostalgia or love is really, quote, a desire for something that has never actually appeared in our experience? The books or the music or the Christmas morning in which we thought the experience was located will betray us. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through was longing. These things, memories of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. We have a deep, lifelong desire to belong, to be with family, to be at home. But what Lewis is talking about is even the best things in life are meant to point us to something more, something deeper, something more lasting. Our desire for place and belonging, to be with family, to be at home, is what the Bible would suggest is a longing to return to Eden, to Eden, to the paradise that we were made for. You know, God created us for shalom, wholeness, harmony, peace, to be at rest. And when God creates Adam and Eve, he places them in the garden as their home. And the relationships that are talked about in Genesis 2 are so beautiful. Where it is Adam and Eve completely naked and unashamed. They are exposed to each other emotionally, spiritually, and they are one. And they are one with God. Their relationships are completely whole and at peace. And they dwell in the garden, their home. They work, they sleep, they rest, they enjoy the home that they are meant to live in without suffering, without brokenness, without electrical problems, without roofs needing to be fixed. Eden was meant to be their eternal home. They could have eaten from the tree of life and lived forever. But sin enters when Adam and Eve choose to reject God as God and choose to be Lord of their own life. And they have relational breakdown, and ultimately God's hand comes upon them. In Genesis 3, we read, Therefore the Lord God sent him, sent them, drove them out of the Garden of Eden. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim to guard the way to the tree of life. This is where we live. We live in Genesis 3, 23 and 24. We live in a fallen world in our own sin 
in the brokenness of this world, in our own brokenness, we dwell east of Eden, longing to return to a home that we've never actually dwelled in. But we try to substitute it with things like family or houses, good things that can't meet our ultimate need. Look, kids are great. And if you get to have kids in life, that's a wonderful thing. The desire to have kids, you can enjoy kids, but kids make terrible gods. If you worship them, they will destroy you. Wanting a wife, wanting to be married if you're single, is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And I pray that if you get married, you have an enjoy, a joyful relationship. It's wonderful. It's supportive. But no spouse can be your savior. She does not want to be your savior. You don't really want her as your savior. But we look to people to meet our deepest needs. If you're in a lot of transience, having a house, having a place that's yours can be really nice. A wonderful, warm home, but even the best house is a terrible replica of heaven, what we're really made for. Even the best of home and family is not enough. We are looking for Eden. We're looking for heaven. We're looking to be with God and one another without sin, and we're looking for that forever. The story of the Bible that we just had read culminates in that Christmas story where God leaves his own family, his own home in heaven, in order to become an immigrant and enter ours. John chapter 1 describes it in, in the, the message version. It's so great. It says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God Almighty creator of the heavens and the earth, leaves his throne, his home, and buys a house in our neighborhood. That's what Christmas is about. But Jesus enters our, our life, our, our neighborhood, our world, not just to tell us what to do or to show us how to live, but to undo the effects of the fall. He bears the curse of sin of our rejection of God in himself on the cross. He is exiled so that we can finally return to the home we are made for. There's a song from the 50s that Perry Como sang, Home for the Holidays. It has this line in it as a refrain, if you want to be happy in a million ways, for the holidays you can't beat home sweet home. If you want to be happy in a million ways, for the holidays you can't beat home sweet home. Many of us do feel that way. Many of us live life constantly wishing we could be in that place of home, but instead filled with aches and sorrows that are unmet. For many of you, Christmas season is really hard because the family isn't there or you've lost the family. You've lost the, the husband or the dad or the friend and you can't get it back again. Or you have that ache inside of you because you just don't feel like you belong. And even if you're at home, you just don't feel like you belong. The gospel tells us this. 
if you really want to be home for the holidays, don't just look at your family or a house or the house you can't go back to. Find your home with God. Find Jesus. As one saint put it, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, God. So here's my encouragement to you. This Christmas, all those things you like about Christmas, go ahead and enjoy them. The carols, the Christmas lights, watching your kids tear open presents if they're young enough to do that still, the Christmas cookies, the food, being with friends and family, but enjoy them in order to let them move you to worship. God made us with desires, desires for joy, for love, for peace, the desire to belong, the desire for family, the desire for home, all these things we seek at Christmas. But remember what Lewis was talking about. These desires and the things that we put our hope in are a scent of the flower that we are meant for. They're an echo of a tune we haven't yet heard. They are news of a land, of a home that we've never yet visited. The greatest joys of something like Christmas are meant to point us to our true home. If this is how good it can be, one day, one day, and let that bring you to worship. We are made for an Eden to which we will one day through faith in Christ return. Let's pray. God, we live in exile, and we know it. Even those of us who live in our hometown and have our family nearby know that this is not the world we are made for. There is something deeper in us that longs to be home. That home is meant to be with you. Lord Jesus, open our hearts to you this Christmas, and may we find our rest in you. Amen.